Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Bros Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Happy New Year, my friends. 2024 is off to an amazing start. And I feel like this is going to be an awesome year. I don't know about you guys, but I just have that really good feeling that I can do anything this year. So I hope that you guys have that same like amazing feeling. And I say that because I opened my email and got really bad news and I really didn't sweat it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pray about this and I'm just going to keep on moving. Like that's the kind of year that it's going to be this year. I'm just going to like say a little prayer and realize it's handled and move on. And I wish for peace for you guys that surpasses understanding. Just pray about it and move on. So the real question is, since we've started 2024, have you actually started doing your goal planning and goal setting for this year yet? I know everybody always starts this off, right? If you're a mom, especially if you're a new mom, you want to lose weight. You want to go back to the gym. Have you joined the gym yet though? Have you actually stopped eating leftovers from New Year's? That cake that you were eating, did you stop it? And better yet, have you started planning for your next baby yet? Is this going to be the year that you have a baby, right? So those that are planning to have a baby, Hey, you get pregnant right now, just saying you have a baby September, October, full-term baby. So have you started planning? Now, of course, I'm in the baby making business and I do know that some people listen to this podcast just for information and they're not trying to have any more babies or you may listen for women's health topics and I get it. So everybody here is not want to have a baby, but since I'm in the baby making business, I want you to go forth and be as fruitful as possible, at least if you want to be fruitful. So, which which brings me, I mean, I really need to do some general women's health topics. Don't worry, this year it's coming. We're not going to do all pregnancy. We'll do some women's health topics this year as well. So over the last few weeks, I've had patients that I've seen in the past that have now moved or that are in the area that didn't really have a good experience with their OBGYN asked me, well, how do I choose a good OBGYN, right? But I think the better question is, what type of provider should you be seeing, right? Because not all prenatal care providers are OBGYNs. And some people want to deliver babies at home. And some people want to deliver babies at birthing centers. So there's different settings you can deliver in. And there's different people who can deliver you. So I think that we should start there. And then based on today's episode, you can go back to season two 
and listen to the episode on how to find a good OBGYN provider if you now feel that an OBGYN is the way to go. Now, I will say, of course, I am a double board certified OBGYN first and then maternal fetal medicine specialist. So, of course, I'm coming from a little bit of a biased perspective because I'm an OBGYN. But there are different types of providers, and all of these providers play um, a great role in providing prenatal care throughout the United States. So I want to break down the different types of providers and who should be seeing what kind of provider based on the level of complexity of the patient or, or us, okay? So you got low-risk providers and you have high-risk providers. So when I say low-risk providers, I'm talking about providers that provide care for patients that don't really have a lot going on. You don't really have a lot of complications. Now, mind you, some of you may think you don't have a lot going on, but I want you to listen to this episode very carefully. Just because you put, you're put in a high-risk group or a group that needs high-risk providers doesn't mean something is wrong with you, okay? We say low-risk providers, meaning you don't have a lot going on, meaning you don't have a high risk of having something complicated happen during your pregnancy. You don't really need close monitoring versus somebody that's high risk. You need a little bit of closer monitoring, closer following. That's not a bad thing. It's better to know that you're high risk than to assume that you're low risk and you don't get the care that you need, okay? So when we talk about low risk providers that take care of patients that don't have a high risk of having complications during their pregnancy or during their delivery, you have three different types of providers that you can see, okay? Really four. One, you can see a certified nurse midwife. Now, certified nurse midwives, they are registered nurses. So they went to college. They got a nursing degree, okay? And they graduated from an accredited nurse midwifery education program on top of that. Now, some nurse midwives work in conjunction with physicians and some practice independently. And if an issue arises, so they're monitoring you periodically during the pregnancy, but if an issue arises, like you fail your glucose challenge test and now you have gestational diabetes or your blood pressure becomes high or they think something may be wrong with your baby, then that midwife will likely refer you to a physician for consultation and or just transfer your care to a higher risk provider. So usually if there's something going on like, mm, I'm not sure, I just need somebody to double check. They may send you for consultation to someone like me who does maternal fetal medicine who can look at the baby or evaluate your chart or evaluate your blood pressure to say, yep, everything's still good. You're still low risk. Continue on your care. Or they may say, let me send this person to an OBGYN to continue the care for this patient going forward because they need a little bit closer monitoring. Now, some midwives do do high risk care, okay? They work in conjunction with the OBGYN. So you may see a nurse midwife and an OBGYN if you're high risk, but you would not get all of your care by a midwife if you are high risk, okay? So that's so you could be high risk and still see a nurse midwife, but you're also gonna have that in conjunction with an OBGYN and likely someone like me, a maternal fetal medicine specialist, depending on how high risk you are. Now you have nurse practitioners. Now these are not considered 
OB providers, okay, in terms of doing deliveries, but they are considered providers. So I wanted to list them here. So nurse practitioners are nurse practitioners who work in women's health and do prenatal care along with the either nurse midwife or the physician, okay? And the reason that I'm not talking about them as delivering providers is because they don't do the deliveries. Nurse midwives, um, nurse midwives do deliveries. Nurse practitioners don't do deliveries, okay? Now, you could have a physician assistant that does help with a C-section that may assist an OBGYN during a C-section, uh, but they're usually not doing vaginal deliveries either, okay? So your nurse practitioners are going to do outpatient care, meaning your clinic visit portion of your prenatal care in conjunction with either a nurse midwife or your OBGYN. Then you have your family medicine physicians. These are physicians trained in family medicine who have completed three years of training beyond the four years of medical school, and their three years of training are specifically in family medicine. Now, these physicians can treat patients, I say, from cradle to grave. They treat anywhere from newborn to you know, the pediatric population, which are children up to age 20, I'm excuse me, 18. I'm simply, some people see their, their pediatricians up to age 21. But if you're seeing a family medicine provider, you can just continue to see them even for your adult medicine. Family medicine providers can also do your wellness exam, like your well woman exam, like your pap smear, your breast exam. Um, they can do your, your uh, rectal exam. They can order your mammogram, they can all your colonoscopy. So they really do, do have their hands on a lot of different things um, with just wellness and preventative care. And usually a family medicine provider is going to refer you to different subspecialties, specialists, excuse me, depending on what's going on. So if you have uncontrolled high blood pressure, your family medicine doctor can start you in the pregnancy or outside of the pregnancy on blood pressure medicine. But if that low dose medicine is not working, they may refer you during pregnancy, someone like me, maternal fetal medicine specialist, to manage your hypertension a little bit closer. And they may choose to send your care all the way to an OBGYN or do all your care through an MFM, depending on how uncontrolled your medical conditions become um, during the pregnancy. Outside of pregnancy, they also can start blood pressure medicines and manage things like diabetes, um, cholesterol, things like that. And if you need a little bit more um, care, something a little bit more specialized, or maybe you're difficult to control, they may send you to an endocrinologist to help manage your diabetes or a cardiologist to help manage your um, high blood pressure. So they sort of treat everything that can be well-managed and, and controlled pretty easily, but usually refer you to different specialty specialists, depending on um, how uncontrolled a certain condition um, is if there needs to be a deeper level, a deeper look um, at a certain condition. Okay. Now they usually perform prenatal care and do the deliveries. Okay. Vaginal deliveries for lower risk pregnancies or pregnancies with only like very well controlled comorbidities. Now, most family medicine physicians do not do surgeries. Okay. Besides outpatient surgeries, like skin biopsies and things like that, but they're not usually doing C-sections. Rarely some family medicine physicians do a family a family planning fellowship, okay, after their residency, which is an additional one or two years to concentrate on vaginal deliveries and procedures. And some, rarely, but some do get trained to do C-sections, especially 
family medicine physicians that are in rural areas. Likewise, there are some general surgeons that also get trained to do cesarean deliveries if they're in a rural area. So there are rural areas of the country that may not have an OBGYN. So you may have to train a family medicine physician or even a general surgeon to do C-sections in emergencies, okay? Especially if there's not enough time to transfer you. Family medicine physicians usually provide care on low-risk patients, meaning you only have maybe one very well-controlled comorbidity, and they usually don't do C-sections, okay? These are vaginal deliveries only unless they're in a rural setting. So family medicine physicians in a very rural setting especially those who have been um, trained to do C-sections, if they've done an extra one or two years of family planning, some of them may still feel comfortable doing C-sections. And if they're in the rural area, they may not have a choice but to do the C-section themselves, especially if they can't get you transferred if there's an emergency, if you present in labor. Likewise, there are general surgeons that get trained to do rural medicine that spend time learning how to do C-sections, okay? So those are also providers that take care of high-risk situations in an emergent situation, okay? But usually, you're not going to have these providers doing um, C-sections. Then you have your high-risk provider. And like I say, you are high-risk, meaning you need to have prenatal care either by an OBGYN, by a maternal-fetal medicine specialist, or a combination of both. And like I said before, you could have nurse practitioners and midwives assist in the clinic management, I mean, your prenatal visits, but they're not going to be the people that are doing your delivery most of the time, or at least not without supervision from another OBGYN or maternal fetal medicine specialist. Now, things that make a person high risk. Age alone can make you high risk. So if you're 35 and up, you are considered high risk because you have a higher risk of having a baby with a chromosomal abnormality and um, have a higher risk of having a baby with a birth defect, with the most common being a heart defect, you can't change that. You can't change your age, okay? So don't beat yourself up about that. It is what it is. I was 37 when I had Harrison. I was considered high risk. That makes you high risk, and it makes you need to be monitored a little bit closer. Most of these people that are over 35 can have care By an OBGYN, you may see me as a maternal fetal medicine specialist once during your whole pregnancy just to make sure everything is safe and to make sure your baby has nothing going on, okay? Other things that make you high risk that are super common, if you're obese, if your BMI is above 27, you are considered overweight. If your BMI is above 30, you're obese. That makes you high risk, okay? That alone. If you're having twins or triplets or quads, that makes you high risk just because you have more than one baby, okay? More than one baby has a high risk of having babies, uh, having pregnancies with high blood pressure issues like preeclampsia, which was when you have high blood pressure and vascular damage, which we look for as protein in your urine. If you are diabetic, even if you are the best control diabetic, you're still considered high risk. If you had a baby less than a year apart. So you got pregnant at six or eight weeks postpartum. You're now considered high risk. If you've had multiple C-sections, you're considered high risk. So if you're a smoker, you're considered high risk. So there's different things that make you high risk. 
if you've been exposed to different medications, that makes you high risk. Like if you were taking retinoic acid for acne and you got pregnant, that makes you high risk. If you were on weight loss medications and then you happen to get pregnant while you're on weight loss medications, that makes you at higher risk because we don't know what that medicine does to the baby, but we do know that it can cause the baby to be smaller. We don't know what birth defects can be caused by it because there's a lack of studies, but that makes you need to be watched a little bit closer in pregnancy. That's okay. It's better for you to be watched during the pregnancy than to not be watched and something be going on. And then we wish we would have watched you later. So people beat themselves up. They come in, they're like, well, does this make me high risk? But does this, yeah, it's okay. It's okay that you're high risk. I'd rather you have a high risk label on you so that people can know, hey, you've been followed closely during this pregnancy so that we can know we need to see you more frequently to make sure everything goes okay with you, your blood pressure, whatever your medical conditions are, and your baby, then for you to just be more comfortable saying that you're low risk. Like it's better to know and prepare and nothing happened, meaning we deliver you before anything happens than for us to be sorry later on. All right, so now that we've talked about who's high risk, the providers, okay, you need to see an OBGYN. So an OBGYN is a a doctor who's completed four years of training or residency in obstetrics and gynecology after graduating medical school. So they done four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and then another four years of residency. And an OBGYN provides women's health care or reproductive care to women of childbearing ages, with the most common being 15 to 45. But of course, they can provide gynecological care to non-pregnant women doing pap smears and breast exams and making sure that the ovaries are normal and things like that. Okay. So high-risk patients need to see at least an OBGYN. Okay, and it can be in conjunction with the midwife, but somebody, an OBGYN needs to look at this and say, okay, are these conditions controlled? The next provider that is a high-risk provider is a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist, which is abbreviated as an REI doctor. Now, an REI doctor is an OBGYN who has completed the four years of undergrad, the four years of residency, just like the OBGYN, I mean, the four years of medical school, excuse me, just like your OBGYN, the four years of OBGYN residency, just like the OBGYN, but they've also done three additional years in reproductive fellowship, okay? And they are the people that oversee and manage issues related to infertility and help patients get uh, get pregnant. They are trained specifically to do procedures such as complex fibroid surgeries, which are called myomectomies. They can do intrauterine insemination, they can do in vitro fertilization, which intrauterine insemination, you're using your eggs and they're injecting sperm into directly into the uterine cavity to fertilize the egg in the tube. In vitro fertilization is when the sperm and the egg, the egg is removed from the ovary and the sperm and the egg are fertilized outside of the body, grown until day four to five of life, okay, of cell life. And then either tested and then frozen, and then after results come back, then that normal embryo is then implanted into your uterus or fertilized. And then one day, four to five happens, then it's transferred without testing. Now, let me make sure I'm clear. IUI, I said the sperm is injected directly into the uterus. And then so the fertilization can happen in the tube. 
I know some of y'all's brains went to, oh, that's a tubal pregnancy. No, remember fertilization happens in the tube and then that fertilized egg then travels into the uterus, okay? It takes a couple of days to get into the uterus. These are doctors that help you get pregnant. And so once they help you get pregnant, they will usually see you if you have IUI or IVF the first couple of weeks of the pregnancy. So they're actually providing prenatal care. And just by having um, uh, artificial insemination or an in vitro fertilization, that makes you a little bit of a higher risk pregnancy, especially if you're having an IVF pregnancy. IVF pregnancies have a much higher risk of preeclampsia or high blood pressure issues and vascular damage. Also have a much higher risk of having multiple um, multiple gestation or twins, triplets. You also have a higher risk of having small baby, a higher risk of having a baby with a structural malformation because you're manipulating the embryo um, before putting it into the uterus. So those patients, all the IVF patients are also followed by a high risk provider like me, which is a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Okay. Um, fibroid surgery also puts you at increased risk for um, having a smaller baby and also a need to be delivered a little earlier, usually 37 to uh, 38 weeks, um, because there isn't a risk of that previous incision or those incisions from the fibroid removal coming open. And so patients that have fibroid surgeries need to be followed closer. Even if you have fibroids and didn't have surgery, you still need to be followed closely. So then that brings me to the maternal fetal medicine provider. So that's someone like me who has done the four years of undergrad, the four years of medical school, the four years of OBGYN residency, and then three additional years of maternal fetal medicine training. So you got your REI doctor and your maternal fetal medicine doctor both doing extra three years of training in those specialized areas, okay, on top of the training um, for residency. And so maternal fetal medicine providers specifically manage high-risk pregnancies. So we're specifically trained to handle complex procedures such as an amniocentesis, which is inserting a needle into the uterus, sending that fluid around the baby off for genetic testing. We can do procedures on the baby, like a chest tube placement on a baby that has fluid in the chest. We can do shunts on a baby that has issues with the bladder during the pregnancy. We also diagnose anomalies during the pregnancy of the baby. And we also manage health problems that moms can have, like high blood pressure, stroke, heart attack. We also help with uh, management of ICU people in pregnancy. So anything that's complicated in pregnancy, a maternal fetal medicine provider is going to manage, and they're going to work with your reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist to manage your um, IVF patients as well, your IVF, IUI patients and patients that have surgery on the uterus as well. Now, most people that are high risk are going to have an OBGYN and an MFM. For some people that are very high risk, they may have an OBGYN transfer all their care to a maternal fetal medicine provider. Your REI doctor is usually starting your prenatal care and then transferring you to an OBGYN, which will then transfer you for consultation to a maternal fetal medicine provider, or they can directly transfer from themselves, an REI provider, directly to an MFM to do all of the care. And again, MFM stands for maternal fetal medicine. Okay. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, just as an FYI, having multiples means that you should see an MFM at some point during the pregnancy. And usually people that have more than one baby are seeing MFM in addition to their OBGYN multiple times. Like I'm talking every one to two weeks, depending on what kind of multiple you have. Okay. So we get real comfortable with twins because we, their family to us, they see us all the time because the more the baby, the, the closer you have to be watched during a pregnancy. Now, I know some of you are saying, wait, doc, you're missing some providers. So let me go back and just make sure I'm clarifying a couple things. You have certified midwives and then you have lay midwives. Certified midwives are nurses. They're trained as nurses that then specialize in delivering babies. They have certification for this. Lay midwives are not nurses. They are not specifically trained. They are learning to do home births from other home birth providers. There's no regulation of them. Okay, so from, from the American College of OBGYN perspective, we don't support lay midwives. We want people that have been trained to be midwives to be doing the home births, okay? That only makes sense because pregnancy can get into some trouble and people that are not trained may not know when something goes from low risk to high risk. And that's very important when we're talking about who's a good candidate for a home birth and who's not a good candidate for a home birth. You can find anybody to deliver you at home, okay? You can go on Craigslist and say you want a home birth. A lay midwife will pop up, but that's not the smartest thing to do. You want somebody that has the education and backing to know when it's safe for you to be at home and when you need to be transferred, okay? So you need to find you a certified midwife, not a lay midwife. And then the next piece is some people say, well, what about the doula? A doula, I love doulas. I think that every maternal fetal medicine provider needs a doula. And I think I did this to doula or not to doula episode. It's either season one or two. I can't remember, but go back and scour, um, scour the episodes. Cause that was a really good episode. I actually need to have her back on as a guest because she was phenomenal, but doulas are not considered OB providers. They are considered very essential to prenatal care. They are support personnel. They are there to ask the difficult questions. They're there to remind you of the things that you should do. They're there to support you through the pregnancy and through the postpartum period, including breastfeeding. And they are highly skilled, but they're not the people delivering the babies. So when I say OB providers, I'm talking about who's delivering the baby, which is why I had to clarify your nurse practitioners are going to be providers for your outpatient setting, but they are not the people delivering the babies. That is up to the physicians and the nurse midwives, period. They're not delivering the babies. Even your reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists are not delivering the babies that are, you know, viable. They could be the people that are, if you miscarry, could be doing procedures to evacuate the uterus, but they're not going to be the people that are doing your second, third trimester deliveries. They could be because they are OBGYNs, but most reproductive endocrinologists are not doing the deliveries, okay? All right, so now that you know about the different types of OB providers, 
Let's go to some scenarios. We switched it up in 2024. We own a new tip. Let's go to some scenarios and we will evaluate which providers are right for each patient. This patient is 41 years old and is 12 weeks pregnant. She has a history of preeclampsia with her last pregnancy. Outside of pregnancy, she has obesity and a history of thyroid disease. This is her third pregnancy and she had a prior C-section. She really wants to have a home birth this time around. Which type of OB provider should she have? Just to break this down, let's break this down into is she high risk or is she low risk? Okay. So this patient's 41. So remember, I already said age alone can make you high risk. So she's already over 35. But is this somebody, if you only over age 35, would she be able to have a low risk provider? Yes, because she would only have that one, you know, very well controlled condition, right? If nothing else was going on. But she also had a history of preeclampsia with the last pregnancy. And we know that if you have a prior history of preeclampsia, you also have a higher risk of preeclampsia with subsequent pregnancies. So we're not going to have this person with a lower risk provider given our history because she has a a risk of having the same thing happen again. And it can happen earlier. The other thing is she's now obese. She's obese. That also puts her at risk for having some complications in pregnancy. And she has a history of thyroid disease, which also puts her at high risk. So she has age, her prior history of preeclampsia, obesity, and a history of thyroid disease. So she has already four risk factors for some complication happening during the pregnancy. Now, she also had a prior C-section. So then we're talking about all of these factors and then a prior C-section. And then she wants to deliver at home this time. So I would say, one, this is not a good candidate to deliver at home. When we talk about deliver at home, we usually don't talk about people that have a that need a trial of labor after C-section. Why? A trial of labor after C-section still carries a risk that the previous incision is going to come open or what's called a placental, excuse me, a uterine rupture. So we don't want somebody that has a risk of needing an urgent or emergency C-section having a, a home birth, okay? So she's not a good candidate to deliver at home. Plus she has thyroid disease and obesity. And if she gets preeclampsia, she definitely wants to be in a hospital setting. Now this is somebody that needs to be started on low-dose aspirin to prevent preeclampsia. So we start low-dose aspirin anywhere from 12 to 16 weeks. That's the optimal timing with some benefit even up to 26 weeks. So she's 12 weeks now. So I would definitely start tell her to start low-dose aspirin to help reduce the risk of preeclampsia this pregnancy. Go back and listen to the episode on preeclampsia. I will do another episode on preeclampsia this season because I feel like we always need a refresher on preeclampsia because it is a very common cause of black and brown women um, not doing well during pregnancies. So when we talk about which type of provider, she needs a high-risk provider. So this patient needs an OBGYN to do all of her prenatal care. So at OBGYN to do all of our prenatal care, she'll also be referred to somebody like me to do um, consultation, to look at the baby from head to toe, to make sure there's nothing going on with the baby. I'm also going to look at her thyroid labs. If she doesn't have them, I'm going to order them. And I'm also going to talk to her about warning signs of preeclampsia and ways to reduce her risk. So she needs an OBGYN and a maternal fetal medicine provider. This is not somebody that needs total care 
by a midwife is not somebody that needs total care by a family medicine physician unless there's no other provider out there like you're in a very rural setting. And reminder, some midwives are working in conjunction with OBGYNs and or a maternal fetal medicine provider. Those midwives can see those patients in co-management with those providers, but not in solo practice because we know there's a higher risk of a complication, specifically the need for a C-section at the bare minimum. And our nurse midwives are not doing C-sections. Our OBGYN colleagues and maternal fetal medicine colleagues are doing those surgical deliveries. So OBGYN should be seeing this patient along with a maternal fetal medicine provider. Okay, medical intern, what's our next scenario? Our next patient is a 23-year-old who is 22 weeks pregnant with her first child. She has no medical problems. She had a normal anatomy scan at 20 weeks. She would like to go into labor naturally. So this is a patient that has pretty much nothing going on. She's young. She's less than 35. She's 22 weeks pregnant. She's already been screened and we know nothing's going on with the baby. And she wants to go into labor naturally. She should be allowed to go into labor naturally. And usually nowadays, most people, most providers do not recommend that you go um, past about 41 and a half weeks. And then after that, they can induce you. But this is a patient that can be seen all of her total care completely by a nurse midwife. If she wants a home birth, she can deliver at home as long as that's what she desires. Um, She can be allowed to go into labor naturally, even past her due date. So she can see a nurse nurse midwife. She can see um, a nurse practitioner in the clinic in conjunction with the nurse midwife. She can also see a family medicine provider, or she can see a general OBGYN as well. This is not somebody that would need to see a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And since she's already pregnant and doesn't have any infertility issues, she doesn't need to see a reproductive endocrinologist or reproductive or infertility specialist. So low risk, family medicine, nurse midwife, or OBGYN, nurse practitioner, um, plus or minus to help with outpatient care or clinic visits. So the case pearl is low risk pregnancies can have low risk complications. Excuse me. Low risk pregnancies have a low risk of complications. Home births are acceptable if desired. And these patients can see low risk providers. All right, medical intern, what's our next scenario? The next patient is 34 years old who has been trying to conceive for a number of years. She has normal monthly menstrual cycles. She had two miscarriages and no successful pregnancies. She desires to get pregnant as soon as possible. Okay, so this is somebody who hasn't started their prenatal journey. journey. So usually the first person you're going to see is going to be your general OBGYN. And you're going to see them in consultation for gynecological care. Okay, they're going to go through your history to make sure there's nothing preventing you from getting pregnant. You would be surprised. People trying to conceive for a number of years and forgetting they have an IUD in place or forgetting that, hey, I'm using birth control pills and I'm just taking that every day and I just forgot to take it. Like there's a number of reasons that people have not been able to get pregnant. And so they'll talk to them about, you know, all the medicines they're on that could prevent pregnancy. They'll talk to them about um, making sure you're having sex and you're ovulating at a normal time. So making sure your monthly cycle is normal and then making sure there's nothing in your medical history that is preventing you from getting pregnant. 
And then depending on that, if you've been trying for a number of years, like this patient's been, then if you are less than 35, then trying for a year will get you sent to a reproductive endocrinologist. If you've been, if you're over 35, then you only have to try for six months before getting sent to a reproductive endocrinologist. And that's because the egg quality declines and the egg count declines the older you are. And so after 35, we're a lot more aggressive in trying to get you pregnant. And so we don't wait a whole year. We only wait six months before you're sent to a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist or REI. So the REI doctor will then do another thorough history on you. They'll also do some imaging and do an ultrasound of your uterus. They'll look at your tubes to make sure that your tubes are actually patent, meaning there's no blockage there or there's no dilation in the tube. So they may do a procedure um, called a histosalpingogram or HSG to infuse this dye into your tubes to see if your tubes are open, okay? And for some people, just that procedure alone can unblock the tubes. Um, they'll also make sure that it's a it's not a man problem. So sometimes people can try and try and try to get pregnant and lo and behold, their husband has a low sperm count, okay? So they'll make sure it's not a problem with your husband and make sure the sperm count is normal um, and not just an issue with infertility based on you and your body. If they see fibroids, they may talk to you about getting the fibroids removed depending on where they are, how big they are. And so usually if you're worked up and they can't find a reason, then they'll talk to you about going forward with an IVF or in vitro fertilization procedure. Before they do that, your reproductive endocrinologist will send you to someone like me, a maternal fetal medicine specialist, to do what's called the preconception consultation. That is when me as an OBGYN will go through all of the history that you talked about with your reproductive endocrinologist. I'll talk to you about your family history to make sure there's nothing genetic in your background. I'll look at all of your labs to make sure you don't have uncontrolled health problems or undiagnosed health problems that can cause you issues when you get pregnant, okay? And then you're cleared from a medical standpoint by your maternal fetal medicine provider to say, she's healthy enough to go forward with in vitro fertilization or, hey, her blood pressure is uncontrolled. I've started her on new blood pressure medicines or I recommend that she get a colonoscopy before she gets pregnant, okay? And so the maternal fetal medicine doctor just sort of lays out the plan of care and the recommendations before you go through IVF to make sure that you're going to be healthy during the pregnancy after an IVF procedure. So for this patient, this patient needs their OBGYN, a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist, and a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Now, sometimes instead of the OBGYN, you could be sent directly from a family medicine doctor as well. So you have family medicine doctor, OBGYN, reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist, and maternal fetal medicine doctor. So any of those people or any combination of them could be doing an infertility workup on you and or trying to get you pregnant. And then once you get pregnant, depending on the type of pregnancy, if it's a natural pregnancy versus um, an in vitro fertilization, then you'll be seeing um, maternal fetal medicine specialists like me to look at 
the baby to make sure there's nothing going on with the baby after you get pregnant. The case pearl for this case is patients with infertility issues for greater than a year should have a consultation with a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. All right, medical intern, do we have any other scenarios? Yes. Our last patient is a 32-year-old who is eight weeks pregnant with her third child. She has had two home births without an issue. Since her last pregnancy, she now has chronic HTN and obesity. Her blood pressure is managed without any antihypertensives. Which type of provider should she see? Okay, so this patient, she had two home births without an issue, which is great, right? She was low risk during that time. But since that time, she's now become high risk, okay? She has two medical problems. Even though her high blood pressure is managed without an issue, she has obesity and she has high blood pressure, okay? And so I would say for this person, she should be delivered by either an OBGYN in conjunction with the nurse midwife, an OBGYN alone, or an OBGYN and a maternal fetal medicine specialist to make sure that our high risk um, conditions are controlled. Okay. They can also be managed by a nurse midwife who works in conjunction with an OBGYN and then, and then sent to a maternal fetal medicine specialist to make sure they're controlled. Okay. Now some OBGYNs can manage without sending to a maternal fetal medicine specialist, but the patient needs to see a maternal fetal medicine doctor at least once because we need to look at the baby and anybody that has a BMI of 30 or up because there's a higher risk of having um, a baby with an anomaly. They also need to be seen because having high blood pressure puts the patient at risk for having a smaller baby. So they need to be seen in conjunction with the maternal fetal medicine provider at least once during the pregnancy, if not continuously throughout the pregnancy, if the blood pressure needs to be managed. So, and in some scenarios, since the blood pressure is controlled, this person can also be seen by a family medicine doctor. The case pearl, low risk chronic hypertension patients, meaning patients that have high blood pressure before pregnancy and that are controlled on no medicines during the pregnancy can be seen by a family medicine physician for their total care. They can also be seen by an OBGYN in collaboration with a maternal fetal medicine specialist at least once during the pregnancy to make sure that the baby is okay and to counsel the patient about the risk of these two comorbidities during the pregnancy. All right. I think that that's all of the scenarios that we have today. And our medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Pregnancy Pearls podcast. And again, happy new years to you guys. I hope that you learn more about the different types of OB providers. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to share me with your friends, rate and comment. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. You can also feel free to check out the website, which is www.drnicoleplenty.com for free pregnancy information and downloadables. And for goodness sake, catch up on the other three seasons of the podcast 
and season four. We're halfway through the season, you guys. So make sure you catch up on the podcast. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.